Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a South African talking about land rights in current modern-day South Africa. His name is Willem Petzer. Recently, incendiary statements have been made by politicians in South Africa stating that there will be expropriation of land without proper payment. Article 25 of the South African Constitution clearly states that property may only be expropriated in terms of law of general application for a public purpose or in the public interest or subject to compensation, the amount of which and the time and manner of payment which have either been agreed to by those affected or decided or approved by a court. Before I get to the discussion I had with Willem Petzer, I included about 10 minutes of audio between two people discussing the issue of land expropriation without compensation. The first person is Ernst Rutz, and the person who believes that there should be expropriation without compensation is Dr. Azariah Mahad. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. Well, big changes are afoot. Currently, there are no provisions for the expropriation of land without compensation. Section 25 of the Constitution states just and equitable compensation must be paid in the event of expropriation. So how will expropriation without compensation work? And how will lawmakers balance these competing needs? Well, I'm joined here in the studio by Afriforum's Aaron Stroh and uh, the PAC's Dr. Azaria Mahato. Thanks to both of you gentlemen for uh, coming through. If I may start with you, uh, Mr. Roots, you obviously don't believe that there should be expropriation yes. without compensation, or is it everything? No, well, obviously we don't believe that there should be expropriation without compensation. And but you do believe that there should be expropriation? No, we, we believe there must be, there can be restitution. We believe that we must differentiate between restitution and redistribution. And restitution is to say that we must go and look at particular areas and say if a particular piece of land was taken from a particular community, then that land should be given back and that's why there's a land claims process. But on the other hand, restitution and redistribution are not the same thing. Redistribution is simply to say if you are white and you own land, we're going to take that from you. And that's what this policy is about. So, and that's what we are against. Is that how you read it? Yeah, well, I think that's very clearly what it's about. We heard in Parliament the way it was argued was with statements such as white people are criminals and white people stole the land and so forth. And I think our history is much more complex than simply making uh, generalized statements like yeah. that. Dr. Machato, do you believe that there should be a land expropriation without compensation? Yes, for one very simple reason, as uh, Mr. Ruth says, it's, uh, we've got a very complicated history in this country. It has been a history of wars and wars were done for dispossession of our own people. Uh, that is why you call yourself an Afrikaner, an Afrikaner, an African of European extraction. And I call myself an African, an African of an African extraction. Mm. We have a history in this country of oppression. I was part of the oppressed. You are part of the oppressor. And we had our seminal moment in this country in 1994 where we we, 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 we agreed on a way forward, and a way, of, a way, a way forward was to, 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 to govern together in a common good of our own people. We did that. But the issue of our own struggle was a question of land that was taken from our own people. So the only way for, 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 for many of us is that our land is supposed to come back to ourselves. 
So expropriation for us is very appropriate without compensation. How do we address that past? fact of the matter is that there were wars and lots and lots of laws were enacted, enacted over the years, over the decades mm. to actually uh, essentially entrench a system where black people in this country could not really own land. How do we address that? Well, I, I think we need to be historically accurate. We need to make sure that when we look at history, we, we, we determine what actually happened in which areas, other than making blanket statements. Um, the argument, uh, and perhaps uh, Doctor can, can explain that to me, but I haven't heard an argument uh, in favor of expropriation without compensation, or a person arguing that, who is also able to explain to me what can I, as a white person, do to own proper, uh, property legally without having a threat that I, or without being called a land thief? What should a white person do to own property? Do you want to answer that, though? Let me answer that. You see, there is this insinuation that uh, whatever we do as African people will be very disorderly. We conducted our struggle as an oppressed people. There were very few incidences where people were just killed randomly. There were very few incidences where people were clapped in the streets. We went to negotiations. Some of us, under the leadership of some of very respectable judges like the Khamu Senecas, mm -hmm. we hold hostages in the PAC conferences where we say, in this land, we're going to take it. And we made a compromise. We let the negotiations went on, and, and negotiations went on. But my point is very simple, my brother. We have agreed as African people. Last time I was here, I said South Africans have agreed that land must go back to its original owners. As to how the mortalities will be, I do not have a monopoly on that wisdom. I also agree you don't have a monopoly on that wisdom. The ANC has got no monopoly on that wisdom. The EFF has got no monopoly on that wisdom. But would you try to that is why exactly there's a committee that has been set to look at the modalities of how that is going to be done. That is our way that we've conducted our struggle. And I think we'll continue doing that in terms of negotiating. But, but I would forward. really like to hear an answer as to what can a white person do to own property without that property being, without that white person being accused of being a criminal. Is that possible? Should you not accept that historical wrongs have to be corrected? Yeah, I think and if you do then, uh, are you not prepared to get to sit in a room with other people mm. who may have a completely different perspective from yours, but discuss what he calls the modalities? That's exactly what I think needs to happen. I think historical wrongs need to be corrected, and I think we need to be able to sit in a room and have these discussions. But it's hard to have a discussion like this when the one side of the argument is, if you are white, then you are a criminal. Um, and we do know that uh, we, can, we can go through the, the Natives Land Act and all of these acts and why they were wrong and, and so forth. But what is not said is that at the time of the Natives Land Act, black people occupied 9% of the surface of South Africa. The argument that's being put forward today is black people owned 100% of the surface and any land that's owned by any white person was taken through means of conquest or dispossession or forced removals. I mean, that's, that's simply not true. That's factually incorrect. But why don't, you, why don't you answer the very same contrary thing? How did white people occupy land in this country? Well, I can answer that question yeah. for you. They were, uh, that, 
I can answer that. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying. No, I'm I'm let him answer the question. Right. There was a, a wide variety of ways in which white people occupied land in South Africa. We must remember the Great Track happened shortly after the, the Mifekane, short, shortly after that, uh, the, the massive Corsa suicide where 10 or 20,000 people died. Uh, and there were parts of South Africa that were empty. And I'm not saying the entire country was empty. I'm not saying that. There were parts of South Africa that were empty. And there were many incidents. It's proven the documents still exist of negotiations for, for land between uh, white tribes and black tribes. There were many such incidents. The, the well-known case is the case of Peter Tief and, and Chief Dungan, but, but there were many others. You can look at the, the, um, the Swaziland border. You will see to the left, uh, to the bottom side, there's a little gap in the border. The reason why there's a gap in that border was because there was negotiations between, between Voortrekker people and the Swazis who, who agreed to give that land to them. But despite these negotiations, despite of, uh, the, these cases where land was also bought, the accusation is if you earn, if you're white and you own land, it was stolen. Uh, that's just historically incorrect. Well, before he before he answers, let's for a second say I'll take your version for a second um, of events. Are you saying those empty spots did not belong to anybody? The empty yeah. parts of the country you're talking about, mm. they belong to nobody. Well, I think that's that's I think that's that's, that's an important question because that's where the, the, the disagreement comes in. Is how do you define ownership? And we know that is that there's a difference between how white, what white people's perception of ownership was when they came to South Africa and what black people's perception of ownership is. We do know that. Um, and part of, the re, uh, part of the problem here, or the disagreement is, uh, and I'm uh, paraphrasing, but there's a, there was a, an argument that if, for example, black tribes, if they graze their cattle over a piece of land, then that was their land. Um, and the other side of the argument is it's not that simple to say if you walked over a piece of land and you, and you lived 100 kilometers from there, then that's your land. So, so the issue about how do you define land ownership is actually a very complicated issue. It's not, once again, uh, strengthening the point that it's not that simple to say if you're white and you own land, you're a criminal. Surely you disagree with that this version. Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't want to go into those particular details. Through you, I want to speak to the consciousness of the African people in this country. Their consciousness in the sense that uh, there's an opportunity where the oppressed and oppressed, the former oppressed and oppressed, must sit down and basically say that, uh, 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 given whatever different versions of history, knowing that we know that there is an agreement in terms of history, that is an African land that we are sitting on. An African land own less part of that particular land. How do we move forward? How do you see yourself when you move around in, in our own townships? You found 10 shacks behind a house, and we stay in suburbs, we've got a lavish houses and all that. What does that say to you as mm. a human being? And this is all that we are basically saying. Mm. It cannot continue to be the same situation. As is, we need to move on to create this country. Because now when we say land expropriation, you go out and say to your own investors, you go outside and say, no, South Africa is going to be like Zimbabwe. And we're fully aware that what happened in Zimbabwe was a warning to South Africa. You dare not go on a question of land. But I am saying we are going to go on that particular question of land because we are going to build a consensus in this country in terms of how that is going to be done. Mm. And I'm sure Afrifora is going to be part and parcel of that because this is our land, all of us together, and we need to move forward. Yeah. But I'm sure if you consider the fact that, I mean, in 1990 or thereabout, people thought we were miles apart. But a few years later, uh, by and large, South Africans were able to find one another. 
Yes, I think there was a, 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 a Rainbow Nation bubble us at some stage, um, but I'm still, I'm still waiting for the answer as to what a white person can do to own property. Um, and if you're not answering that question, I assume your position is if you're white, you cannot legally own property. Okay, let's say, let's say your question is not answered, right, right now. But why do you object to getting or starting or being part of a process that will hopefully uh, make us find one another. Yeah, well, we're not against being part of a process. We're not against starting a process, but we disagree with the content of the current process. Um, I think there's a lot that can be done, and there's a lot, there, there are some radical things that the South African government can do right now that would make a big impact. Like? Like the fact that 23, 25% of people in this country live on state-owned land, and it's mostly black people, the black people that you spoke of, and more than 50% of them complain about the quality of, of, of that housing. A major, a radical step could be to say, let's give title deeds to those people, because then that property... But that has been happening in the townships. No, no, that's not been happening. No, no, no. Well, if, if that's been happening, it's on a very, very minor scale, and that's the exact opposite to what the ANC proposes. The goal is to have the state own everything. That's, that's what this is about. A few seconds. There, seconds from you, there, there, there is basically no process that has been agreed on. A way forward must be created as to how we are going to go on as a society to do that. I have my own view. The EFF has got its own views. The ANC has got its own views. You've got your own views. You are, you are, you are advocating for, 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 for protection of, of, of white interests. No, I'm advocating for protection of property rights. Okay, that's where we're going to leave it, unfortunately. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about your background and also contact information. Then we can just kind of go into what we discussed in, you know, I briefly covered in our Twitter conversation, South Africa history, uh, difference between the settlers and English, and currently what's going on in South Africa in general, specifically in your part of the country. What part of South Africa are you in? All right. Um, do you want me to start with the history or so? Uh, do you think good. that's a good well, place to start? Americans have a very, I mean, I would say for me in particular, have a kind of general history of South Africa. We don't understand the different times that, you know, kind of Europeans were there and the different type of tribal, you know, regions that are in that area. So maybe you can just do a general history, maybe your family background too. Talk a little bit about yourself. All right, so the first uh, Dutch people that came to South Africa it was actually a shipwreck here in uh, Table Bay or the Cape of Storms in 1644. Huh. And uh, the Dutch colony in South Africa was re not never really a colony as the other ones that, are, that were state-sponsored. The Dutch colony uh, um, was sponsored by the Dutch East Indian Company that you, um, wanted to set up a trading post here so they can supply their ships right um, so they were all going to you know uh indonesia or something like that yes yes they were mostly going to india uh to trade spices okay so um <coughs> sorry uh after they stranded here in, in 1644 they they found out it was an excellent place to set up a harbor so the the company um imported some in in 1652 brought some specialist farmers here to farm so that the ship can stop at South Africa and resupply on its way to India. Okay. And that's how the, the Dutch colony started here. And then later the French uh, Huguenots uh, fled because of the religious uh, persecution in, in France. They came to South Africa to join the Dutch because um, 
the Dutch had the same reformed faith gotcha. that the French had that were persecuted by the government, the Catholic Church. Right. So, um, sorry? They're both Protestants. Yeah, yeah, reformed Protestants. Okay, sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, so um, later in the 1700s or the 18th century, the British came here and they wanted to annex the colony. So there was a lot of fighting and a lot of, and they brought a lot of German uh, mercenaries to fight. But it, uh, in, in the end, the English lost the fight and the K became, became Dutch again. And the, all those German mercenaries um, that they brought stayed there. They also became farmers. Uh, part of the Dutch colony, and and only a lot later, um, around the end of the 18th century, the British came again with more more mercenaries, and they um, they took over the the colony again, and this this time they were successful. So then uh, the Dutch and the Germans that were mercenaries brought here by the English got tired of the British rule because the British imposed a lot of taxes on them and their products and so on. So they decided they don't want sounds like taxes. American, sorry, it sounds like the American colonial era. Exactly the same. It's, it's, it's the exact same reason as well. They were they felt oppressed because of all the taxes. So then they decided to um, move out of the Cape province and start their own uh, country, which later became the Boer Republics uh, of Transvaal and Natalia and Freyheid and Stellaland and the Orange Free State. Those are the Boer Republics they formed. Um, all these republics later... Sorry, uh, just let the uh, listener know. Basically, these these people who had been there all went northeast, kind of up, and the Transvaal means they're going past the Vaal River. So Exactly, exactly. Sorry to interrupt. And that, that was the exact same time uh, they, they came into contact with the Bantu tribes. Um, before that, they, uh, like in the Cape Colony, they were never in contact with black tribes because uh, the, the indige indigenous tribe there is called the Khoi. Um, but they were they basically extinct now because they were later um, hunted down and genocided by the Zulus. The, Z the Zulus came here in 1816. That's when they established their, their kingdom here in South Africa. So that's quite uh, something if you look at the dates, uh, 1652, which the Dutch came here versus 1816 when the Zulus came here. You can see who's, who was on, in this land first and whose land is, it actually is. Okay. And uh, I've actually, I know a, a very good historian. His name is Dan Ruert. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's quite active on there. He's, uh, he documented that during the time of apartheid, that was in the 1900s, in the 20th century, there was only about a million blacks in South Africa, but a lot of black people from all over Africa immigrated here up until the 50 million we have now. So um, even though they were saying, uh, they were always talking about how oppressive the apartheid system is, they voted with their feet, all, all these immigrants came here millions and millions and millions of them and now they are the ones causing the trouble they are the ones that wants that want to get the land back even though it's historically um, proven that they never owned any land here in south africa interesting they only immigrated here in the last 100 years or 200 years 
And that immigration is still happening into South Africa as an economic engine. Wasn't there's more recent African, like different people who had never been in South Africa before, like Nigerians, other parts of the country. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, immigration still today, but not as much as there was back in the day of apartheid. Because if you if you look at our black um, jobless percentage, it's over forty percent now. Over forty percent of black people are are jobless at this uh, at this moment, and, uh, and that's why it's not as economically viable for them to migrate to South Af Africa anymore, like they did for the past. 100 to 150 years. So all these North Africans now mostly migrate to Europe and not to South Africa anymore. I see. So that explains that pressure. Then, um, so the the Boer, I mean, the, the settlers who moved Northeast, they were, there were two, basically there were two wars against the British Empire in the 19th century, right? Two recurrent wars yeah. where, but the British really had their eyes on Africa <laughs> because of they found the mineral the gold and the diamonds right so that created a more uh, uh yeah that was only much later that was actually at the end of the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century the war only ended in in let's say 1912 when the union of south africa was uh, established and the british basically gave power to the um Boer generals jan smits and louis Boerta. They told them now now you guys are in charge of the, the whole South Africa, but you become part of the Commonwealth. Gotcha. So yeah, and then only in, in nineteen sixty two the Boer people decided they don't want to be uh, part of the Commonwealth anymore. They actually want to be a, a fully independent republic. So that's when we had our un unilateral declaration of independence in nineteen sixty two. But yeah, after after the um, takeover of the communists in 1994, for some reason they were immediately uh, taken back into the Commonwealth. So now we are in the Commonwealth again. Didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the communists. I mean, have grown in power there. I mean, you can see some of these these newer leaders there, Julius Malema. They all were all red, right? So they're just. Yeah, the ANC is all actually in coalition in a coalition government with the South African Communist Party. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, they have always been communist, and they've al always had uh, ties with the communists all over the world in, in America and especially in Britain. Right, that's I mean, where they got all their funding from. Right, and it wasn't. Um, I'm blanking on the name. What was the guy's name? He was a communist too. The, uh, who became the first president after? Yes, Mandela. Mandela, Mandela. People don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a communist. Um, you can actually, if you if you go Google Mandela communist, you can find pictures of him with well-known communists like uh, let's uh, Fidel Castro was is one of these biggest allies, and you also find pictures of him with George Soros and Dennis Goldberg and all these guys that are known to sponsor communists worldwide right and they still do <clears throat> well he went to jail mandela went to jail for in uh insurrection he was bombing places if i remember correctly i don't know the exact <clears throat> thing he wasn't i mean he became this kind of poster boy for the anti-apartheid movement but his early history was a uh, violent revolution is that would you agree with that 
Yes, definitely. But it wasn't really a violent revolution against the white government because uh, I think he knew that if he wanted to pick a fight with the white government, he would have been destroyed. So most of the fights and most of the executions were in the black parts because most of the black people in that time did not support the communist party and the ANC. So the only way they could force those black people to to support the um, ANC and the communist party was by violent force. So about 20,000 people were killed under command of Nelson Mandela and about um, most of them were black. Only about 600 of the victims were white, but the other 20,000 were all black. Fascinating. You know, those are facts that get left out in our media. You know, they, they, uh, the sympathetic media here in the States, I would say, always promoted this image of Mandela as this kind of grandfatherly, you know, hero, kind of like Abraham Lincoln of, of the South Africa. So, you know, we don't yeah, hear about that was basically the mostly George Soros and the Open Society Foundation that started um, bombarding the media with that image of Mandela, which was actually laughable because we all knew that wasn't true. But nowadays, if you if you look at the world, if you look at the international community, that's the image they have of him. Right. Interesting. So yeah. we go from Mandela. Mandela, the, the power shifts from the anti-apartheid and it's interesting too because right as that power anti the apartheid left there was you know immense wealth in south africa and different people came into power they're already i mean they're talking about current day land reform like literally taking land from uh current owners but there was land reform after apartheid ended would you wasn't that correct yeah, there's an ongoing process of land reform where they, but it's actually worth compensation. So they buy the farms from the farmers, and then they give it to black people. But actually, the statistics say all the, um, more than ninety percent of those black people that then get the farms sell it sell it back to the original owner within a year, and then they basically just take all that. It can be more than a million dollars which they then just get for themselves. So most of them are just in it for the money. They don't want the land. They just want the money. Fascinating. So that, that this kind of uh, switching of ownership has been happening for, when was it? What was, is there a specific date in South Africa when apartheid ended? Uh, 1990, yes. So would you say that this kind of land switching and gaming the system by owners of, the, of these guys, has that been happening for 25 years? Um, it's been happening since 1996, so it's been happening for 22 years now. Gotcha. <clears throat> and I mean, the expenditures on land reform by the government of South Africa are in the hundreds of millions of dollars, right? I mean, there's huge expenditures to try to redistrib redistribute the land in a capitalist system, right? So they're purchased, the government purchases the land, right? But I, I thought I read a statistic that was a billions of dollars have been spent on this kind of thing. Is that true? Yes, it's, it's more than a billion dollars nowadays. Um, AfriForum, uh, one of the civil rights organizations here in South Africa, they calculated that if all the money that has been spent on land reform um, was just spent to buy, buy up the land, the, the government could have bought all the farms and all the, all the real estate in South Africa 1.6 times. Wow, that's incredible. So we don't know where all of that money went, but all we do know, it all went into corruption and into the pockets of the top dogs of the ANC and the, and the South African Communist Party. Well, can you talk about the, the current corruption uh, in South Africa? 
yes, corruption is extremely common in the in the government. Um, millions or, or actually billions of dollars get stolen every year. It's more than a billion American dollars, which is quite funny because um, more money gets stolen via corruption than the international foreign aid that South Africa is, receives. So one can almost say that they steal all of the foreign aid that South Africa receives, plus um, some of the taxpayers' money as well. Interesting. So I'm assuming that that money is taken away and not put into public programs, road building, etc. Not at all, because, I mean, um, the United States actually sponsored $350 million last year to South Africa, which was supposed to go into health programs for um, people with uh, sicknesses like tuberculosis and uh, HIV AIDS and so on, and none of that money went into any health programs. It all just disappeared. That's Is HIV still a major concern in South Africa? HIV AIDS? Um, quite so, yeah. The, the, they passed a law in South Africa where, they, where nobody is allowed to speak about HIV, uh, the HIV status of anyone else. So it's not allowed to know, you, you are not allowed to know if someone's got AIDS. Um, that's quite a, quite a stupid law. So, so the official numbers are not, there are no official numbers, only guesses. And the guesses are that it's around 20% of the population. But many people who actually look at the available statistics and calculate uh, them say that the HIV number could actually be higher. It could be closer to 40%. I know the neighboring nation of Swaziland is uh, almost 50% HIV AIDS because they still keep those statistics. That's, a, that's remarkable. They had a law here in California where it's no longer a felony to expose somebody to the HIV virus, which is pretty remarkable. Um, uh, that was never a felony in Africa. It's not a felony or it is? It, it was never. Never. What a remarkable. You know... Um, there's Sorry. actually some articles that you can go read, uh, even like the most liberal newspapers like The Guardian and those have reported on it. So around, <coughs> around about um, one in three men in South Africa are uh, admitting that they, that they practice rape. And there's this massive, uh, what do you call it in English, um, superstition amongst the Africans that if they if they have sex with a virgin they will be cured from HIV AIDS so these people then rape little girls which they are sure are virgins that never um, had puberty yet so they they rape them because they think that they can uh, that's that they will be cured from AIDS and now the statistically it's more common for a little girl to be raped before she learned to read than the other way around. That's terrifying. That's terrible. It's interesting you brought that up. That's part of the Muti kind of witchcraft uh, belief there. I, I came across another South African by the name of Kobus Jonker. Have you ever heard of Kobus Jonker? No, I didn't. He was a witchcraft. Um, he was a policeman, I believe, in Johannesburg who... They actually had their own, they had so much witchcraft happening in South Africa that the police there created their own department. And he was the yeah, head. But that, was, that was only during apartheid. They took that away now. Gotcha. And that, that's, okay. that same department actually also looked at cannibalism, which was also big here in South Africa. 
And uh, when they took that away, cannibalism started to pick up again. So you can also Google that cannibalism in South Africa. You'll get a lot of articles because now that's becoming a trend here in South Africa again amongst the the uh, black tribes. Remarkable. So, so since apartheid ended, would you say that the country is kind of on a downward spiral? I mean, I mean, we can bring all the things we've talked about the past up to the present day where something like 60 to 70,000 people have been murdered in the last 15 years. There's been raids on farms in South Africa. And just recently, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with somebody from South Africa was the statement by Julius Malema about how you know, uh, the redistribution, redistribution of welfare will be taking place by force. So um, would you say, uh, you know, what, what, what are your positions of the future there? Well, um, the murders is an ongoing thing. This one woman called Sunet Bridges actually compiled a list um, of all the white people that were murdered by black people. And that came to 70,000 in 2013. Uh, but she stopped doing that. Then these other people took it over a million for Steve, they call themselves, and they put that number at 85,000 right now. Um, but the, it's impossible to get these, these statistics or to verify these statistics because the government passed a law that's made it illegal to put um, race in the statistics of crime. They, they passed that law in 2008, and then since 2008, there was no no race in the statistics, only only uh, numbers. Okay. And I mean, this is still. I mean, in some of the videos and some of the pictures that I've seen, it looks like some of. The, I mean, it's like there's a Mad Max world there in South Africa, where you know you leave your house, it's a it's a roll of the dice. It is actually. I mean, I posted uh, on Twitter one day. Uh, a few photos of my own house and the security that I have here and I actually made a joke about this American movie called The Purge and uh, then I said they've got nothing on us there like in that movie they install these massive um, security measures that so that nobody can come into their houses and then our houses actually have more security than those houses have in that, in that uh, dystopian apocalyptic world in that movie. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, what's the what are the laws on gun ownership uh, over South Africa and in your region particularly? It's extremely difficult to get a gun. Um, <coughs> sorry. In 2000, they passed these new gun control laws, which basically give, gave the state all the power to decide whether you're allowed to have a firearm or not. And then all the people had to hand in their firearms. And then nowadays, it's so difficult to get a firearm. I mean, I know of people that have waited two, three years for their license to get, um, to, for them to get a license approved by the state because it takes so long to get that license. And then many, many of the times the state just re rejects the, the license for no reason at all. I mean, I've got friends who applied for a license three times now and got rejected all, all three times. And these friends of mine have never even had any anything against them, no criminal record, not even a parking fine or a speeding ticket. So, yeah, that's basically what's gun controls now in South Africa. That's a shame. I mean, at some point there was, I mean, I, I assume that the kind of pioneers all had guns. That, well, I mean, it kind of was like the American Wild West or the Western thing, like all guns and uh, 
you know, all kinds of handmade weaponry. Why did, did, did that kind of gun ownership, did that, how did that, I mean, is that something that happened at the end of apartheid that it was taken away from people or the rifles were taken away or? Yes, that's what I, what I just said is um, in 2000, in the year 2000, they, uh, they passed these new gun control laws and everyone had to hand in their firearms or apply for new licenses. So, yeah, and now it's extremely difficult to get that, that license approved. It's a bureaucratic nightmare. Gotcha. And so the current leadership is uh, Ramaphosa, is that correct? Ramaphosa. Ramaphosa. So Ramaphosa has also said some, uh, incend made some incendiary statements. Is, can you talk about that? Yeah, he, he's actually the guy that uh, declared that land expropriation without any compensation will start to take place um, in the near future. They're going to try and mend the constitution. That's basically the worst thing he said. Gotcha. And among other things that may have not hit the international meeting. How long has he been? He's the prime minister, right? Uh, yes, he's the president. President. And how long has he been in power? Um, just two months now. Gotcha. So, now, wasn't there agreements at the end of apartheid that stated, or there were something about that there would be no land expropriation or that there would be no uh, removal of people from land? Does that, does that sound familiar? Yes, in the Constitution, it actually says that... It, Nobody is. Everybody has a right to um, property ownership, and nobody can take it away from them. And that's actually the part of the constitution that they want to change and make it so that they can take it away. I see. So, what what is the what's the kind of general consensus opinion of many of the Boers or people you know where around around where you live? What what's what does the future hold? Well, we don't know. We're trying to um, protect ourselves, but it's very difficult because we're not allowed to form um, like the commando system or the militias that we had. So um, that's very difficult for us. The gun ownership thing is also very difficult, but we still try to form organized um, neighborhood watches and farm watches and so on where we help each other out to, to protect ourselves. Wow. And... Uh... <clears throat> It's the, the, the farming system is spread out through most of South Africa. It's not, it's not condensed in one specific area. Is that true? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Well, I'm just saying like the, the, the farming system in South Africa, it's not like, uh, it's not just around Johannesburg. It runs all the way from Cape Town to Johannesburg. It's oh, like, yes, the farming system in South Africa is countrywide. It's from Cape Town to Johannesburg, north of Johannesburg, uh, west of Johannesburg, east of Johannesburg, everywhere. Like, the whole country is full of farms. Gotcha. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, here in the California, the farms are all in the Central Valley. I mean, there's some spread out. But the, uh, I mean, are people talking about the what happened in Zimbabwe as an example of, of the potential future? Exactly. A lot of people, especially economists, say South Africa's future is going to be the same as Zimbabwe. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I'm actually, I've got a lot of knowledge on agriculture and uh, in Zimbabwe, it, it's one of the most easiest countries in the world to farm. I mean, they've got the most fertile soil um, of anywhere in the, in, the, in the world. They've got very high rainfall. 
they've got a high water table, all of those conditions that make it excellent for farming, yet they still failed miserably when they took the farms away from the, from the European farmers. And here in South Africa, it's, a, it's the complete opposite. It's very, very, very difficult to farm in South Africa because we have um, most of the country semi-desert and we have very low rainfall. We have a very low water table. It's very difficult to farm here. That's, that's why we think there were no uh, Bantu tribes here in the, when we came here because it was, it was impossible for them to farm here. And if it was so difficult for Zimbabwe to to uh, start farming on their own in that great conditions for farming. I don't even know what's going to happen in South Africa where, it, where it's actually very difficult to farm. I mean, the, the, one of the examples of Zimbabwe is they took these viable working farms and gave it to people without the specific knowledge or understanding, and then they bungled it in addition to many other things. And my understanding is that they're actually trying to invite the people who they dis disown from the land back to farm again. Is that true? Um, we don't really know if it's, if it's true or not. Um, it's very unpredictable that president they've got there. Gotcha. I think Mugabe is um, no longer there, right? Yeah, Mugabe is not there. It's this new president they've got. I forgot what his name was. But he said he wants to give it back to white farmers and then later he retract that statement again and so on. But That's yeah. Cool. Uh, that whole country is a mess now. I mean, I've, I've posted tweets about this uh, video and photo evidence. They actually eat rats and they sell rats on the street to eat because that's the only meat that they've got left in that country. Remarkable. And then what's the population of Zimbabwe? 25 mil? Um, I wonder what that is. Yeah, it will be, it will be closer to, to 20 mil. I mean, most of them, most of the immigrants, uh, uh, most of them immigrated out of the country. Oh, remarkable. Yeah, it's 16 million right now, so. Yeah, so it became a lot less. I think it was, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's about 16, 16.1 mil, I would, I would guess, about around about now. Now, do you, as far as people leaving the country, what are, is there a proportion of the settler population, the former settler population that wants to, to travel, you know, to go somewhere else to immigrate? Um, generally, the ones that didn't immigrate yet is easier to stay. Um, <coughs> sorry, in South Africa, there's about uh, a million Afrikaners, that's the, what we call ourselves, our people. There's about a million Afrikaners overseas, mostly in Australia, New Zealand, but also in Europe and America. There's a lot. Yes. There's actually, I knew there were many uh, au pairs or au pairs who were Afrikaners. I knew people from Durban. 25 years ago, you know, so yeah. you got, I mean, the outsiders called you Boers, which is like a farmer term, right? But internally, it's African, you speak African. No, we, we also call ourselves Buddha or Boers, like you say. Oh, so you do. Okay. So that's correct. Yeah. It's just another name. It's like Holland and Netherlands. It's the, it's the same two names for the same thing. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So uh, the population roughly of the African or Boers is about 5 mil. And then you, so you have like almost 20% of your population is overseas. Yeah. yeah um, closer to 25% of, of them. Yeah. We have one. I think we have one Elon Musk. I don't know if he was in Africa. I think he's an Africana, right? Yeah. He actually went to the same school, high school that I did. Oh, remarkable. Yeah. He's yeah. 
I'm in LA, so we see all of his stuff, Tesla, SpaceX, all this things. He's actually digging a tunnel under Los Angeles right now, trying to make a privatized tunnel system. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's actually, yeah, he, he contributed a lot to, to our school and so on in the past. But yeah, he hates South Africa. I don't think he will ever come back. That's a shame. But I don't so blame do, him for it. Do you feel like there's a brain drain that could happen or is happening? I don't think so. I mean, um, I wouldn't say it's the smart people that are, only the smart people that are leaving. I think there's a lot of them that stayed here. Um, within, if if you look at the number of medical doctors in the per hundred thousand people in our population, it's not a lot. But if you t- take the the amount of medical doctors just in the Afrikaner Boer uh, people, it's actually the highest in the world for. For example, and our engineers, we also have a very a lot of engineers and so on. That's the most common, um, it's the most common profession for 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 a person of Afrikaner descent. So yeah, it's actually I wouldn't say it's a brain drain. That's good. Um, so what else can we cover? I mean, there was another guy that I saw. I actually saw a clip of a guy by the name of Shiv Shivambu. He was like putting his his hand on. Um, on a journalist today, all in red. Do you feel like there is there the journalists are trying to get the information out, or is there an attempt to curtail or keep the journalists from talking about current conditions in South Africa? No, of course there is. I mean, the EFF is notorious for it. They sing these songs to kill the Boer and so on. Then this Floyd Chavambu attacked the journalists there. For no reason, I actually post. I think you saw it on my on my Twitter feed because I was the one posting about it. Okay. And also, cool. what I, I also posted a video on my Twitter feed um, of a video where where some of these ANC people are fighting within government, and the one broke a, a jug of water over the other one. So I wouldn't say it's just against the journalists. I mean, uh, brawling is a is quite. Uh, a common place in, in Parliament in South Africa. You can Google it and you can get millions, or not millions, but thousands of pictures of it. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, the whole notion of post-apartheid South Africa, what do they call it? A rainbow? Rainbow, rainbow nation. Rainbow nation, that's right. And that's you, also... Sorry. Yeah? Continue. If that's also actually a term that was invented by Open Society Foundation in South Africa. Um, yeah, so that's quite uh, something to know. Well, maybe you can talk about Soros and the Open Society and its effect upon South Africa. Uh, I think South Africa was, was uh, during apartheid, was probably the, the main focus of the Open Society Foundation. Uh, their offices in South Africa are, are one of their biggest offices in the world until today still, and they are very, very, very active here. And um, during apartheid, he, him and his... Uh, his cronies and, and his employees and so on were very active here. Just look at the Ravonia tiles. You've got Dennis Goldberg. You've got Helen Susman. Uh, you've got Joe Slovo. You've got Ronnie Casirales. Uh, you've got all these um, people that were connected to him that were working actually in a... Um, that were actually working f- for the revolution. They, they, they never got their hands dirty themselves. They got their black pawns to do it for them. But they they just push the money and the propaganda. Interesting. Slovo was a communist too, right? Yeah, all these people that I that I'm that I named were communists. Um, and so, what what do you think the Open Society Foundation 
its goal was was to just end apartheid or or really change the the character of the country i think it's more cultural they wanted to change the character of the country because there was a lot of opposition um in the 60s to worldwide to this whole uh, concept of multiculturalism and multiracialism um the the big majority of people were against it worldwide and uh nowadays the majority of people are for it worldwide and i think south africa played a major part in that change of world culture because then they showed the world look yeah south africa was fine they they the rainbow nation now but all they spread about south africa all these years were lies because they were all saying how good it was going yeah and especially Open Society Foundation and Soros, they were spreading all these lies, but actually it never went well in South Africa after apartheid ended. Interesting. And okay. also the other thing is the gold and the, and the, mineral, um, and the minerals in South Africa were, were all taken over by Soros and his cronies. So ultimately they had a cultural change, but then when, you know, I suppose when apartheid ended, you know, those kind of like what happened in Russia, these assets are open for purchase. Would you agree with that? I'm sorry? Well, like in Russia, when they had the end of the Soviet Union, uh, international capitalists came in and bought up much of their, a lot of their assets, you know? They wanted the oil assets or something like that. And I thought, did this, something like that happen with international finance coming in, perhaps maybe Soros and purchasing Steve. Yeah, it was mostly it was mostly him and his communist buddies that got all the spoils. I mean, Dennis Goldberg, the, who was in South Africa all these years, the leader of the South African Communist Party, he became a billionaire, a dollar billionaire uh, after apartheid ended because of all the mines that he got. And also a guy named uh, Nicky Oppenheimer, you can Google him, he also he got ties to these people and he uh, also became a billionaire. I think his net worth is more than or or close to $20 billion at this moment. Uh, he got it out of diamonds. So was Oppenheimer part of that whole De Beers complex, uh, you know, that whole company? Yeah. Or? He was, he, he got the, the, the main shares in De Beers. He, were, he was the majority owner, but then later he sold it and moved out. Gotcha. So, he, so people are selling some of their assets and moving out of the country, is that true? Yeah, most of these, most of these communists that, uh, or these globalists, I would rather call them, that's a better term, uh, that were fighting against apartheid, most of them left the country. Remarkable. So I find that odd that they would want to be involved in the ending of this, this governmental system and then leave. It seems odd to me. They just got look at, Most of them you moved to the UK. Interesting. So they took their money and ran? Yeah, oh, they actually didn't take their money. They made their money and then ran. Interesting. So maybe what you can do is kind of inform people where they can get in touch with you, talk about your social media, and maybe um, you know give some advice for, for people to kind of get the real information about what's happening in South Africa. Well, um, on Twitter, I, I usually post all the stories that I have on South Africa. So I'll put my Twitter um, handle into the into the chat. People can follow me there. I'll put um, it in the show notes too. I'll put it in the show notes. So your name is William Willem Petzer. Yeah, it's, but my Twitter handle is just like at and Willem, but it's 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 spelled the Dutch way and just P E T as I as I just as I put it into the the chat right now. Okay, cool. 
And then um, what else, what other uh, areas are, are worth checking out for people who, you know, aren't in South Africa? What are the reporting do you recommend? I wouldn't recommend um, mainstream reporting from South Africa because they are very slow and they're very biased. Like most of the time I have these stories two or three days before the media had them. And then I post them, but I would also recommend them if they want to to uh, follow the the news in South Africa quite um, closely. They should follow this guy called Ian Cameron. Em Cameron. Uh, that we said. Em. Or Ian, Ian. Ian Cameron. I A N Cameron. Exactly. I'll I'll quickly go onto Twitter right now and uh, go get his handle. And I'll also post that into the group. He's very involved in the whole farm murder um, thing. He's head of the security at AfriForum. So he usually has these information first. There we go. It's at Ian Cameron 23. Yeah. yeah. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, anything else? Any other, any, any other person? I think they should follow AfriForum too. And A F R I forum F O R U M. Yes, exactly. So Ian Cameron F R forum cover you. Yeah, exactly. So they they've got they they do the most uh, of the um, things. Yeah, the thing is, there's not much media in South Africa that's on the internet available yet because we're a little bit behind. <laughs> but as I said, some of these guys like myself and Ian and them are very active on Twitter posting the stories and so on. Gotcha. Oh, another guy that I was following was Rational Gent. Have you heard of Rational Gent? Yeah, he's actually a friend of mine in real life. Okay, gotcha. So that's, I think that's how I actually came across you was through him. Right. Yeah. So what do you think the, the effect of all of these? I mean, if you look at Ian Cameron stuff, these marches and things like that, are they falling on deaf ears or? Uh, of, they are definitely falling on death ears here in South Africa. The government and so on doesn't give a damn what they say, especially AfriForum and these people. But in the international community, they are raising a lot of awareness because it's not just the government that sees it. Uh, I think like the Australian newspapers at this moment are, are reporting more stuff on South Africa than the actual new, local newspapers do. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah, they said, I mean, I've heard that there was somebody in their parliament who was going to table a you know emergency measure if people wanted to flee south africa or something like that so they seem to be yeah they're quite on it, on it. yeah that's good that's in the states i don't, <clears> I don't <throat> think so i don't think too many not people not yet yeah but people are starting to um like i don't know if you know and culture yes that's how you how you say it culture and culture mm-hmm yeah, she started following me on Twitter and she started retweeting my stuff and trying to find out more. And I've seen her tweet a lot to, to President Donald Trump that he should look into the situation. So that's quite a big thing in the States. I think she's got quite a big following and a fan base. So I think. I would agree with that, definitely. So, yeah, that's a good person to be in contact with for sure. So. That's yeah, I'm, I'm actually very um, happy that she started following me and retweeting me because now my message is going out a lot more to a lot more people. Well, that's good. This will go out, you know, this will probably be seen tens of thousands of people. So that's good. But, uh, yeah, Ian Cameron 23 on Twitter. And then Afro forum is a F R I F O R U M all one word. So you can, you know, people can find that. Um, I, I'll quickly put the 
Yeah, the the handle is actually the exact same as their name. But I'll I'll quickly put that into the chat on YouTube as well. Okay, sounds good. And uh, anything else before we wrap this up, you'd like to tell the audience? Uh, no, I think we basically covered uh, a very brief but good uh, history and uh, what's going on in South Africa and so on. So I think we basically covered everything. We covered the gun control issue. We've covered the fall murders going on. We've covered the history. I don't know. Is there anything else that you think I should say? Um, well, you know, I was just more curious about how, how things are going to go in the future. I think we kind of covered that. But, you know, if you want to get into specifics of you know, what's going on politically there or anything else, I'd be more than happy to have you back on the show or you could do a show with Ed Opperman or I can get your name out there. I'll see if anybody else is, uh, actually know a couple other broadcasters who would, might be interested in talking to you if you're up for that. Yeah, I'll always be up if I can find the time. Um, I, I'm really trying to get the message out there. The problem with the future is just that we don't know. Well, I wish you well. I wish the people, all the people of South Africa well, and I hope, uh, you know, some of these problems can be resolved. But uh, I think so. I think one of the, this is like a human history, gun control. People don't like the guns here. There's huge problems going on in the States with guns and people shooting in schools. But if you control... Well, you, you can see the parallels between South Africa and the States. Like exactly what's hap what happened here is they are trying to let it happen in the States. Yeah. It's a shame. Willem Petzer, P-E-T-Z-E-R. Your um, hand, Twitter handle is let me find that. Will, Willem Pet, W-I-L-L-E-M-P-E-T on Twitter. I would suggest exactly. people go and follow him, get some excellent information. And he also posts very current videos. So, Willem, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Great. Have a good evening.